know, you know, you have this curiosity when you're a fan of how things work and behind the scenes. So being able to see that was just enhanced it for me. back everybody to the DCL Duo podcast and tonight we are super excited to have Len on from the Sweep Spot podcast and also co-author of the book Cleaning the Kingdom and its sequel and so Len and his co-author who can who couldn't make it this evening are true Disneyland experts. Len, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. Wow, thank you. That's quite the introduction. I don't know about Disney experts. But, um, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> so, Lynn, we, we always love to start with folks off with their Disney background, and we'll get into ins and outs in the book and such. But maybe you could sort of talk to us a little bit about what your background was going to Disney before you started working there. Well, I grew up in Southern California and Long Beach, and I grew up, you know, as family going maybe once a year, twice. And then in high school, our marchi- I was in marching band, played drums, and we went there every year for the three years I was in school and marched down Main Street, and that was fun. And then got an annual pass around my senior year in high school, and then just went, had a, had an annual pass from, the, from that time all the way until the time I worked there. But in between that is when I met my wife, and then she she had an annual pass and we used to go all the time because we were lived close enough to where even if she got off work at nine o'clock, we could go for the last couple of hours just to hang out. And then I went to work there in 1991 at the Plaza, Plaza Inn Complex, they called it. Now, that consisted of the Plaza Inn restaurant, the Plaza Pavilion, which is now where the Jolly Holiday bakery mm-hmm. is. I think. Mm-hmm. And then it also consisted of the cast member cafeteria, which was the in-between. And so I did that, but then I was young and made some bad choices and actually got fired from, <laughs> from <laughs> Disneyland for attendance. And so when I did my own thing for a few years, toured with some bands and things, and then came back in 1998 and they let me come back. I had to fill out a form on why I think they should let me back. And they did. And I went into Custodio in 1998. And when you applied to come back to to Disneyland, did you specifically apply to the custodial department or how does that work? No, I, they gave me a couple choices and I had already been in foods and I didn't really enjoy it too much. And so they said it'd be outdoor vending, restaurant foods, or custodial. And I always saw the custodians, you know, walking around the different areas and outside. And I thought that seems a little better than being like stuck at one location or, you know, maybe two different locations and that's it. So. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what the duties were when you were with Disneyland custodial? Because I know there's a lot of confusion as to what is custodial versus what is busing versus what is customer service or or the, the various different positions. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what custodial covered? So the full name is custodial guest services. And they the reason I had the guest services because we had the little pouch with the maps in it. And I mean, because we're out in the open, we're probably the most visible people that were there. So people would always come up and ask where the restrooms, where's this, where's that. But yeah, we were responsible for anywhere that wasn't like an eating area. Where, so wherever tables were, was not custodial. That was considered busing or part of a, a restaurant. And then we were responsible for everything else. How, how long did you work there, Lynn? 
I was there. So in Custodia, I was there nine years and then I was in foods for two years. That's, I would say you're an expert for sure. I mean, just that <laughs> much time in Disneyland Park is, is, is a huge amount of time every, you know, every, every work day. And then obviously you visited in some of your off time as well. So I want to talk about when you and Ken decided to write this book, Cleaning the Kingdom, and and how that came about. So I met Ken when I started in 1998, and we became friends just you know, by working together. And then when, when I became a lead, the leads kind of talk and to each other and kind of, you know, about what's going on in their areas. And we just got closer that way as friends and would take breaks together. And we would always talk and say, man, we got to write this stuff down because, you know, just something would happen every day. It's just like any job, things happen. But but we, we just thought, man, this is kind of interesting, different things, seeing different people and just incidents and things. So then when we both went our own ways, he quit in 2005 to work full-time with his job with the uh, county of LA. And I left in 2007 to because we were moving to Utah. So when I moved here, I had always been like a part of Disneyland, either working there or an annual pass holder. And I was just separated from that. Mm-hmm. And I just, I started missing it. And then I discovered podcasts. And one of the first ones was Wedway Radio with Nate and Matt. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of became friends with them online and wrote a few articles for Wedway on their, they had like a blog. And I did that a couple times for them. And then, then I just kind of realized, I think I could try this. I'm not expert radio guy or anything, but I, I know that I had a passion to do it. So I started up a podcast and I asked Ken and he said he couldn't commit to it, but he would come on now and then. But I wanted to get someone that could commit to a weekly podcast. And so I asked my friend, Laura, who I'd worked with at Disneyland and Custodial. And I knew because I wanted, I mean, I worked with a lot of people, but I wanted someone I knew appreciated the history of Disneyland and that sort of thing. Because we had people that would not necessarily appreciate it, but would work there. Right. So, not not everyone. Some to some people, Disneyland is probably yeah. just a job, and to other people, right. it's it's a piece of Americana. It's it's a piece of history, and you, there's a love that you have for it that transcends it just being a workplace. Right. And and I get both sides of it. I mean, I, I understand to some, I mean, not everyone's going to love it like I do. Yeah. So then I asked Laura to do it with me and then we did the podcast and that started in March of 2011 was our first episode. And Ken would come on now and then as a guest and we'd talk about custodial stuff. And then something happened where she couldn't do it as much. And so we kind of parted ways and I asked Ken, I said, Hey, this is what happened. Can you come on more often now? And he said, I could, I could do it every week if you need me to. So then that of course forced us to talk more often. And then we started kicking around the idea about that book idea. And he had already kind of written some stuff uh, for laughingplace.com mm. that he had been writing for. And so he was sharing some of the articles that he had written in the past and said, wow, this is pretty good. So I started trying to think of all the stuff that happened while I was there because, you know, you just don't think about it until you're forced to. And then, so anyways, we just kind of came up with the idea for the book and started coming up with chapter names and dividing, you know, all our different stories and placing them in the different chapters. It just kind of took off from there. It seemed like at points in the book when there were pieces of it that you guys had written down like contemporaneously, like a, a, I remember in the beginning sort of like 
ride closures and things like that, where you guys were, it was almost like a diary entry of what had happened for that day. Is that, um, is that because you guys were just sort of thinking at that moment, this is something that should be recorded or, or how'd that come about? Cause it was interesting to see the more contemporaneous kind of recitations of what was going on. I think that was a lot of Ken doing that. I mean, I wasn't much of a writer except for just, you know, what I did in college. But yeah, he he was really good at, at documenting some of that. And like I said, he had written some of it for Laughing Place. How often did you write and, and sort of how long did the process take you? I mean, was this like a did this become a full time job temporarily or were you kind of trying to fit this in between another full time job? <laughs> a lot of it was written on my breaks at work because I'm a I'm I'm still a custodian, but I, I work at a at a middle school for the school district. So a lot of it was done on breaks and just any time I had free time. Same with Ken. I mean, he was probably writing some of it while he was at his other job, but. It took about a year and a half, I'd say, for the whole thing. And the way it all kind of came together was was really weird because we didn't have any idea of like how to put it out there. Right. Like how to publish it or who to talk right. to. or. But it all just kind of came together like it was meant to be because around that same time, they had like a Christmas boutique kind of thing here in our town. And my wife was there and came home and brought home a book that was called Hidden Mickey. It was a novel by mm. Dave Smith. And she said, oh, I met this author today. And, you know, he wrote this book and she gave it to me. And he, he used to work at Disneyland. She said, I said, oh, that's cool. And here in St. George. Anyway, so then I went to D23 Expo 2011. And and that's when I, I went up, I saw Dave Smith had a booth there and I went up and chatted with him and said, hey, you know, my wife bought your book and I'm from St. George and he's from the same city. And, you know, we talked, told him I worked at Disneyland and started telling him my idea about our book. And he said, you know, I have a publishing company. So anyways, he ended up publishing our first book and he lived just, you know, five miles from where I live. So, so it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> were you nervous at all? Or were there any concerns that you guys had about putting a book out there about Disney? Disney seems pretty bullish when it comes to some of this stuff. And so I'm just <laughs> curious, like, was there any was there any concerns on your part? A little bit. But I think the one person that kind of broke all that, and I think that everyone that does blogs or podcasting mm -hmm. about Disneyland should should be thanking David Koenig of yeah. the Mousetail book. Because his book that came out like in the 90s was the first book to really go behind the scenes mm -hmm. and talk get the cast member stories out there. And before that, it was only things pretty much put out by Dis. So I think with him having already done something similar, but not directed at just a custodial aspect, I kind of felt a little bit safe about it. But at the same time, I knew we had to put some kind of disclaimer in there. And, and we also wanted to stay away from any kind of negativity because as you know, with any, any job comes, <laughs> comes <laughs> the good and the bad. days and yeah. people you work with and, and yeah. even managers that you work with that you don't agree with. So we could have easily had, you know, chapters of just that, but I thought, no, let's keep it positive because we want to stay on Disney's side. Yeah. Especially because we have the podcast and we knew that they listened to the podcast because we had a little incident, but oh. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't our fault. It was a guest we had on, but. Oh, somebody who was a current employee or something. Yeah, kind of. And higher up than that, but he had disclaimed some information that they didn't want out yet. So yeah. Uh, but that made me aware that they were listening. So. Yeah. Your disclaimer, by the way, at the beginning of the book is hilarious. So anyone who reads Cleaning the Kingdom should don't just skip over that disclaimer because it's actually really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do remember David Koenig's book. I, I remember when I came out, it was, it was all the rage with some of my friends. We I lived in Southern California at the time and we were going to Disneyland quite a bit. And I remember everyone wanting to read it. So yeah, I remember that book. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, that's great. Everyone wants that behind the scenes info. I mean, that's that's big. And I think most podcasts would say it's really difficult to get any current Disney employee to come on your show. You can get a former employee to come on your show, but a current mm-hmm. employee is going to think extra hard and probably end up just saying no, that they can't. So, yeah, yeah, we usually try not to get current employees on on the podcast just to protect them mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For so, sure. So I was I was wondering in the process of writing the book, did you and Ken just sort of rely on your memories of the, you know, of particularly of like special events or special occasions that you decided to write about in the book? Or did you reach out to other folks that you had worked with who were either former or current employees to kind of try and, I don't know, I sort of recreate or piece together some of those memories because there had been a number of years passed at that point. Yeah, that's true. It, there had been a number of years. And like I said, we didn't, I didn't really think to write all this down when, as the time was, you know, at the moment when mm-hmm. I was working there. So then to try to remember all this stuff, but yeah, we, we thought this would be the only book that we were going to do. So we tried to cram everything into it. It's just probably why it's, you know, 450 <laughs> pages long, but it also has stories of other cast members too because i think that if we knew there was going to be another one that we would have just had our stories in it but we did talk to a few people that that we had worked with before that we wanted to include their stories mm-hmm. also and so yeah we did we did some interviews with with people that we worked there and some of the other research was just on dates and things like that because you know i couldn't remember exactly when something happened so i kind of had to remember oh yeah that well that attraction was open at that time but when was that there and then you know right and which parade was there at what time and things like right. that right yeah because right. you, you talk a lot in the book about the well about the different parades and some of the animals in the parades and that would cause certain things yeah. that you all would have to clean up during the parades yeah, I exactly. thought that was a really it's a really interesting part of the book but <laughs> I think that's a good segue into a, sort of the different assignments that one could have in custodial and we won't I, I don't want to get into all of the detail about the different you know, lands where you might be assigned and things like that, because I want people to still, you know, buy your book and read it. But sort of the general categories of where you could be assigned, if you could sort of explain that for our audience. Yeah. So you would see on your on your uh, schedule, it's say Adventure Frontier. And so when you showed up that day, your shift was, say, 7 to 3.30, you would show up to the office at 7 or a few minutes before and then walk out to that area. And each area had its own like locker, we would call it, which was just like a little post that had like the schedule and the people that are working in the area and what the assignments were that day. And that the lead, which was what Ken and I were for many years, would assign the assignments for those cast members. The different things in each area was pretty much standard. You'd have sweeping, trash, lines, which is sweeping, but you just be sweeping in lines or you could be a break. Some of the areas would have a breaker that would be covering breaks. It was pretty basic just those two or three things and then some areas were a little different like adventure frontier had indiana jones so you'd have an indie person and they would have a, their own radio because every lead had a radio mm-hmm. to respond to calls from the main custodial central would send out calls on say a spill on a shop or something and and then but indiana jones had its own radio and they would dump all the trash cans in in the line and sweep the line. And then there was like a cast member restroom in the building there that they would clean too. And then, so each area kind of had that lineup. And then there was a chance that you, you could be scheduled restrooms. And then you would, like the men would be 
given like three or four restrooms at a time. So you would just go to each restroom, like clean it, go to the next one, next one. Mm-hmm. And you had to do all that within an hour. So like you were hitting each restroom at least under an hour. Wow. Which wasn't bad. And But the women, because they had more stalls in their restrooms, they would usually be given like one or two restrooms. Mm. And, and I mean, like adventure, that Adventureland restroom, you've probably been in there. It has yeah. like 30, 34 stalls or something. Yeah, that is a, it is a big restroom. Yeah. I imagine cleaning the women's restrooms are just more onerous tasks because they are that much, they are that much bigger than the men. Yeah, I'm curious because you mentioned at several points just now and in the book that Indiana, the Indiana Jones ride had its own kind of was its own assignment. Is that because mm-hmm. it was so big? Like what? What? Why? Yeah, it, it was just kind of a uh, kind of out of the area in a way, kind of hidden, and it was just easier to because the trash cast members that that dumped the trash cans in the area would that would kind of pull them way in to the area, and it was just easier. I think when Indiana Jones first opened, they had I think they had like three people in there, three custodial, and then when I hired in '98, they still had we had two people in there. What was the worst assignment, if in your opinion, <laughs> and what was the best assignment from the from the sort of assignments you well, talked about? Everyone has a different, you know, everyone liked different things because you could be scheduled the parking structure or the Esplanade. I started to like Esplanade towards the end of my career there, but most of the time we didn't like that because we wanted to be in the park where all the action was. Mm-hmm. And some people liked being away from the crowds and so they'd like to be in the structure or um, Esplanade. So I guess... It's really not a worse assignment. It just depends on the person. Some people hated doing restrooms and, and I actually liked doing restrooms because you got to walk around like, you know, and just, there was, I don't know, to me, it just seemed like it was low pressure. You just go in and clean the restroom and then go to your next one. And on the way, you might see some friends or something and say hi, and then just go on your way. You A little more independent. Yeah. You weren't stuck in one place the whole t- day too. Right. Right. Yeah. What was the the most difficult thing to clean? I think for some people, well, again, like some people had a had a hard time with the code V's, which is explained in the book. No. <laughs> it is a bodily up, fluid. Vomit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's vomit, but, exactly. Yeah. But I don't know. For me, like after you do it a few times, you just you just don't really think about it. But some people had a hard time doing that. I didn't like doing the parade cleanup. Some of the parades would have confetti and it's just really hard to clean up. (laughs) (laughs) Just millions of pieces. (laughs) It's the one thing that I think um, we we focus a lot on the cruise line, but I think it's the one place where the cruise line is really smart because all the confetti that comes down is like slightly bigger than regular confetti and shaped like Mickey and all of the kids run out and pick up all of the confetti because they want to take it with them. And they're streamers too. They pick up the kids will pick up the streamers. It's just like by the time it, by the time the kids are done, you look and you're like the floor's cleaning it because they picked it all up. Yeah. Yeah. Since we're talking about chapter five here. uh, Oh yeah. I have a whole section. I kind of wanted to ask a little bit about chapter five. Uh, Yeah. So chapter five is the gross stuff. um, Just for our listeners. listeners. Chapter five is where the gross stuff happens. Like, so you, you asked what the most difficult thing is. I guess, what was the most what was the oddest thing that you were called in to deal with when i didn't really have anything odd well i did but you don't want to hear this do you <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear it okay but, uh, so for people that might be eating or something or, <laughs> or get grossed out easy maybe forward like one minute yeah um, yeah well well tr- trigger warning trigger warning there you go okay <laughs> <laughs> so probably the worst thing i ever had to clean up ever was a rest a restroom stall i saw a bunch of flies above a one of the stalls and i thought what is going on so i opened up the door and someone had finger painted with 
know. No. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> or use something to draw all over the stall. And I thought, no way, who would do that? That is sick. <laughs> so I even called the lead. I thought, you got to come out and see this and help me. So <laughs> I, I have no problem cleaning up a horse uh, yeah. poop, you know, but there's something about human that just, yeah, that just gets to Right. The, the code H versus the human yes. code H. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so these are, these are, uh, code words they use for pe- for our listeners who haven't read the book. Code V, vomit. Code U, urine. Code H, horse poo. And human code H is human poo. <laughs> <laughs> How often did you have to, um, were you, you know, sort of when you weren't working restrooms necessarily, how often would you get called like to an attraction to deal with or some other area to deal with some kind of bodily fluid? Was that like a daily thing or was this like once a week kind of a thing? Yeah. So because Ken and I were both leads, we would get those calls like a normal, like a regular cast member that wasn't a lead would just happen to either run across it, mm-hmm. which was kind of not rare, but it wasn't, wouldn't happen very often. Or if a lead asked them to go to get it for them because they couldn't get it. But, but normally we would just get it because we get it on the radio and, and usually like at Space Mountain, they would pull it off the, off the track. And yeah, we'd have to go in the storage or, you know, where they work on a maintenance bay and clean it out. But I had one day in Tomorrowland and I had 36. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that in the book. <laughs> yeah. It was that, it sounds like that was not a usual day, but that was a no. crazy day. But that day, I, I think I was, I think I would work like 12 hours that day. So, which was like a rarity, but I think I was extended because someone had called in and they were trying to find a replacement for the person before I went home. But yeah, but I had that many and and it just kept coming one after it. It got almost funny. They'd call me and go, Lynn, again, sorry, code be a start or something like that. I wanted to ask though, what was the, what was the ride where you had the most yeah. code V's? Was it star tours? Cause I wouldn't be shocked. Star Tour, Space Mountain, yeah. It just seemed like any everywhere. It didn't seem like it was one particular ride or it'd just be in a random place like in a shop or something. <laughs> <laughs> would you, would you like when you were working as a lead, would you get like at least one a day or were there you oh, know yeah. yeah. Oh god. Yeah. I'd say probably an average of between one and five a day. Oh my goodness. It sounds yeah. like you, you became an expert with that. I don't forget what it's called, but those packs that are, they kind of look like sawdust and it's the, the, the stuff oh, yeah, you guys used. Pixie dust. Thing. Pixie dust. Thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the stuff you guys used to clean it up that you kind of, you become an expert in how many packs you need for the size of the, the, pile or puddle or whatever you want. If only that was the stuff coming out of the wands and bibbity boppity boutique. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You could probably wash it out of your hair quicker than the pixie dust of the bibbity boppity uh boutique. Yeah. Lynn, were you, were you there when you were there in California adventure was opened, right? I mean, that was open in the early nineties or mid nineties, right? So you, you would have been working at the parks when California adventure opened. Yeah, it it opened in 2001 and yeah, I had started in 98. So when we when I started there they had already kind of known what was going to be happening and they they had already started shutting down the parking lot and making guests park over in the other like Timon, I think it was Timon or Simba over there by the hotel and then over in the what used to be the Pinocchio lot which I think is where the new structure is now. But yeah, so that had already started taking place and then there was a time where they Disney asked us 
we had to go to an appointment and they, and it was by seniority. So, uh, you would show up and, and everyone above you had already picked. So they would, they would get, give you a choice to pick because it was all, you know, unions. So they were under a different contract at California Ventures. So you had to choose like, did you want to stay at Disneyland or did you want to go to California Venture? And they would show you on this list because they already knew everyone uh, above you what their choice was. So they could tell you that if you stay at Disneyland, your seniority would be, say, number 35. If you go to California Venture, you'll be number 12 or something like that. It was lower over there. And so it was very tempting to go over there and have a higher seniority because I had only at this time when they started doing that for us, I think it was around 2000. And it was really tempting because, wow, I could move up, you know, faster. But at the same time, it was everything just seemed uncertain because what if it didn't do well and they started closing the park, you know, really early or only on the weekends or and I didn't get enough hours. And I had just got married in 1999. So I was like, I don't know. So I decided to stay where I was. And Ken did too. We both stayed at Disneyland. But we had friends that went and then came back. Oh, really? <laughs> they didn't like it for whatever reason. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about some of the the hidden places. In the book, you talk a lot about hidden places that weren't break rooms, but there <laughs> were places where you might disappear to take a break. And I wanted to find out if just sort of give us some ideas of some of these sort of unique places that were that guests might not know about that you were able to kind of hide away in in, when you had some quiet time. Unofficial breaks. Yes, unofficial breaks. Yeah. So some of the ones that I remember was well, one that comes to mind right away is when Rocket Rods, remember Rocket Rods? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When that closed, remember where the queue was where the old circle vision was oh yeah that, that round the big round room they so when that closed that stayed empty for for years and but the air conditioning was the best like in the whole park in there for some reason <laughs> it was just cranked all the time so that was a really nice place kind of kind of dark air was always on no one ever went in there. So that was one place. But then, you know, they started building on Buzz Lightyear. So that went away. But another one on the west side was so underneath. So there's a there's only two tunnels in Disneyland complete that would take you from one end to another. There's three underground areas, but two tunnels. And the one is underneath Haunted Mansion. And it's right over near the exit. You go down and there's a where the control room is, where they watch the cameras and all that for the ride. And then that, that kind of goes back underneath and comes up on the back side of the mansion building, the back here. But but back there, there's like a lot of little nooks and crannies and things. And it was kind of fun just to explore. That was another advantage of Custodial was that you could, you know, you could explore everywhere because people would just think, oh, they're just, you know, they're here to clean. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was going to say Custodial and security are the two functions that you wouldn't right. bat an eye at someone being there. Yeah. That was that was another there there was a nice restroom that was you know if you needed a restroom to use that was out of the way. You know where the train station is in New Orleans? Mm -hmm. There's if you cross the tracks, there's some buildings off to your left and there's like a little door over there and there's a restroom behind there. Just a random small like no one I've never seen anyone go over there, but I found it one day and I'm like, Oh, this is nice. Inside the train station and over there is like a break room for the engineers, you know, the train people, mm -hmm. but they hardly ever use it. So that's kind of another place that, that we'd go to. But 
I can't give away all of them, but yeah. that's a couple. <laughs> yeah. No, those are really cool. I mean, if, if you think about it, I'm sure I'm guessing that there are probably people who worked at Disneyland who never figured out where those hidden places were. Like maybe somebody oh, yeah. who worked in a restaurant or in a shop that really didn't get to explore in the way that, that you got to in custodial. Yeah. What was the, what was the coolest backstage area that you, you got to see? That's a good question. I think the one that, that, amazed me the most was the star tours building when just how you're on like these stilts like that that whole thing's like a little capsule and it's on these stilts Mm -hmm. you wouldn't i didn't never thought that you were really that high in the air or anything like probably gonna scare some people now but (laughs) (laughs) you're actually like above the ground like 20 30 feet it's pretty high on these stilts that are kind of you know moving the, the car around but i got to see that from the bottom and looking up and that was I wasn't, you know, obviously I wasn't there when it was running, but it looked pretty cool. I know, speaking of sort of ride mechanics, I know one of the questions that Sam wanted to ask was sort of around, I think you opened the book actually with the story of kind of having to, like, you're at the ready because a cast member is getting to leap into the tracks, or maybe it was Ken, but but was getting ready to leap into the tracks to grab a wallet or something. And It was a backpack, I think it was, and it was an Indiana Jones. Yeah, sort of curious, like, what's the most sort of, like, harrowing? um, What's the most dangerous thing that they wouldn't let you do now, but you guys got to do back then? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's one of them, but that's ridiculous. I, yeah, they would never. Just the little things. I have a couple of things, but one little thing is just crossing the track at Big Thunder Mountain Station, where the where the vehicles where the trains come in. There's like when there's not a train in the station. If you look down, there's some like yellow tape on like these brake pads or whatever they are down like in that little I don't know what you call it this little area down there. Mm-hmm. But we would step on that. And then jump across the track to get to the trash can on the other side. Oh God! And I just imagine. I mean, I mean, literally, you're stepping down like three or four feet, jumping on this thing that's like six inches wide, and then jumping up on the other side. I mean, if I slipped and fell in there, and then a train was coming, you know. So. Oh my God. But that was just a normal thing we didn't think about. It was just, it was just we did it. And mm-hmm. yeah, kid's story. I never did anything like that. But <laughs> well, what's funny yeah. is the way he framed the story in the book. I think was something like we were there in case that guy fell. Like the cast member who was going to get the backpack fell. That we would yank him out. We yeah. weren't doing it ourselves. <laughs> like, yeah, well, we, exactly. we would have to clean up his remains. <laughs> sort of the flavoring. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious too. With so. If I think about a normal job that people might have when they, they work someplace, like they work there and they can't stand being there when they're, when they're not at work, Disneyland is different. And I perceive it's very different for, for you and for Ken, you guys are, are Disney fans and you enjoy going to the parks, but how did you maintain that love of Disney when you're working there every day and you're seeing kind seeing of behind the curtain, behind the curtain? Yeah. You know, you know, you have this curiosity when you're a fan of how things work and behind the scenes. So being able to see that was just enhanced it for me because some of the things that they built was not as high tech as you would think it would be. (laughs) I always give one example of the Peter Pan, you know, and the attraction there, there's the, the traffic when you're going over London, it's just a bicycle chain with fluorescent paint, you know, dripped on it here and there. (laughs) Well, I know the, is it the clouds or the, the snow on the, something is, uh, or the river, it's, it just wadded the up clouds. Tish, tissue paper, right? Or, or, or yeah. yeah. Trash bag. Yeah. <laughs> it's real high yeah, tech. It's just, but it looks amazing and it works. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 What was the, the coolest 
or most interesting like celebrity or person that you got to meet while working? Because I I know that I think people might not realize that you interact a lot with guests when you are on custodial, the way you're, especially when probably you're on sweeping, even in sweeping lines. And so it, it seems like you have the opportunity to meet some interesting people. Did you get to meet anybody that might've been a celebrity or just somebody really interesting? No, not, not really meet them except for yeah. seeing them pass by. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did say hi to, you know, Tommy Lasorda is a manager of the Dodgers in the 80s. 70s, 80s, but he was always in the park with his grandkids pushing a straw around and he was always really nice. And I'd, he'd ask, you know, he'd always say, how's it going today? I said, How good are you? You know, but that was about it. I did see Michael Jackson walk by. I was cleaning out some flower beds one night and I heard this loud stepping really fast. I thought, what's coming? What's that? You know, and I look and there was like all these guys in suits and, and then right in the middle, you could see his shiny hair and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it happened so fast he was just gone like wow you know, seconds but that was kind of cool yeah just to see them up close so you know like kobe bryant was always there um, let's see him walk by a few times and sylvester stallone you know not as tall as you would think <laughs> i think i'm taller than him oh, i am taller than him i know that but yeah and i'm not very tall i think i'm 510 so <laughs> What was, what about sort of ride openings? Were there any cool ride openings you got to see while you were working at Disneyland? Yeah. So just to see 2005, they redid Space Mountain. So they, they tore all the track out and they gutted that building and they redid the track. The same exact layout, but they just redid it. So we got to see that because we passed by the building in the back all the time and kind of, I saw it when it was empty and then got to see them, you know, kind of slowly put it together. And then we, we were able to, to write it as a cast members because they were doing testing and it's the best way to test the way loading and unloading and timing and all that. They wouldn't use us as like test dummies. Right, they, right, right. <laughs> right. Once they finish the test dummies, then they go right. to real people. Right. Yeah. Right. So that was cool because they, they would just announce on the radio, like we need, you know, cast members for testing a space mountain and then just go over there and we got to write it a couple of times and then Tower of Terror and uh, California Adventure, the same thing. Now, do you ride Tower of Terror and go, I know they're going to get lots of calls on this ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably because of me I don't <laughs> but you didn't have to clean it because it's at dca yeah, not go. at disney yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i i liked it I, I when you made the note in the book that they when they renovated space mountain it made it smoother i immediately was like yes that is the reason why that ride is so much better than the one at disney world is the one at disney world is just so jarring but yeah yeah I'm not a space mountain person either way. Same, I don't, I same. know. I just, I don't know. I don't, I get, I get whiplash from both of them just being, I think it's just the darkness that I can't, you know, I don't know which way it's going to turn and all of that. So I have it all memorized now. I always, <laughs> I'll tell my son if he's kind of nervous, I go, okay, left, right. <laughs> I love that. All right. So here's, here's a question that I had when I was, as I was going through things is, did, did you ever get to, to go into club 33? Yes, but not not as a cast member. Ah. Well, let me let me rephrase that. So I went when I was an annual pass holder because of someone I knew. Mm -hmm. Got my wife and I in. We were still dating at the time, so 
Talk about impressing. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Sure. Sure. I would be impressed if somebody took me to Club 33. <laughs> I'd be like, but, see ya, Brian. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> but then as a cast member, we had to clean the restrooms there. So we would go in there, not really explore there. You're just, we were told just go right in, clean it and leave. Don't. Don't look Don't around. dawdle. That's a bummer. Yeah. That's, that's funny. It's the same instruction they give me when I'm hanging around outside. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk a little bit about sort of special events because it, it sounds like there were some cast member special events that used to happen. I don't know if they still happen that you guys got to go to. What was your, I, I don't want to give away all the secrets of the book, obviously, but what would you say, what was your favorite event that was, you know, for the cast members that you got to attend not where you didn't have to work? Probably the Christmas party that they would have for us. It was not very crowded and because they would do it over two nights. So that way you could go one night and then you'd probably have to work the next night. You could invite your your family or your spouse. And most, a lot of managers would work like, like we had managers doing custodial and helping, but we also had our own cast members doing custodial because they had either gone to the party or going the next night. Um, but it, and everything was, so they changed the prices on all the carts and everything to like a cast member price. And I think at the time, like a churro was like a dollar or something. And, wow. And the restaurants had like their own, you know, their own prices that were really cheap. And, and then as you left, you'd get given a uh, ornament that was like had the year on it. Yeah, it was really special. But they I think because the parks just got so crowded and they just I don't know, they just got away with that without it now from mm. what I heard. But when we were there, they had it every year. But there's just so many cast members now, too. And it's so crowded over any time near the Christmas. I mean, now that the Christmas season starts, you know, after, as soon as Halloween ends. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we didn't have like a Halloween season there, it seemed like, but now it's crowded all the time. Remember when it used to be slow, like in January, February? Now it's just like, doesn't matter when you go. <laughs> yeah, it's crowded all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Since you mentioned the ornament, I know you mentioned at several points in the book that, you know, you, you guys are big Disney Disney fans, Disneyland fans, collected, I'm going to mispronounce this word because I keep mispronouncing, but collected lots of Disney Anna. Disney, Disneyana, 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 collected lots of Disneyana. What, what's the favorite thing that you collected over the years, Lynn? Well, I mean, you know, when you work there, they give you things like pins. Like if you worked on Thanksgiving, you'd get a, a, thing, a Thanksgiving cast member pin. It would have the year and say happy Thanksgiving on it. You'd wear it that day. So I have a bunch of things like that that they would just give you. But as far as like collecting, I still collect Disney books, like mostly theme park books. And I'm actually really obsessed i have way too many um <laughs> probably hundreds of books but oh my goodness yeah that's that's my thing is is collecting books i have a bunch of old souvenir guides that they started off as paperback and then you've probably seen some of the hardback ones that they'll mm -hmm. sell like a cash register or something but i have some that go back to like 1956 um, oh wow that are pretty cool. I'm still trying to find the 1955 one. I found it, but it's just, they're always like $150, but. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I have some really cool books. My favorite, one of my favorite ones has a story to it with the cast member thing, but it's um, called Walt's Time by Robert and Richard Sherman. Mm -hmm. 
And they had a cast member event just for cast members at the, they call it the TDA building. It's the yellow green building you see off the freeway for the, where they do all the hiring and stuff. There's an auditorium there and they had a Robert and Richard Sherman. Robert was still alive at the time and they had like an event. So they had a piano there and they were singing all the songs. It was just for mm-hmm. cast members. It was probably only like 50 people there, maybe a hundred. And they sold their book there. And they, so I have uh, both of their signatures. And then Bruce Gordon, who wrote the, I don't know if you heard of the Disneyland, the Nickel Tour book. No. It's probably like the most prized Disneyland book that you could find. And probably the one of the best books. Like you ask any Disneyland fan that collects books and they're going to say that's like the Holy Grail. But they, Bruce Gordon was the Imagineer and he wrote that book and he also wrote this book Walt's Time but he passed away uh, not too long after this event but I have his signature in the book too so that's really cool, really cool. Yeah. yeah yeah but yeah lots of books <laughs> <laughs> do you still keep up on sort of what's going on in the parks and you know uh, and when I say in the parks I'm, I'm focusing really on Disneyland so DCA and Disneyland Park and do you still you know get back to California to to visit and see what's going on there yeah well because of the podcast Ken's always you know he brings the current events and to our podcast so I'm always but but I follow you know just like on social media follow a lot of groups and we're kind of connected with my chat um our podcast so mm-hmm. always reading their their stuff and um yeah and then and then i get to the parks probably depends on the year but last year i think i was there six times oh wow yeah pretty often different events like d20 when i was down for d23 expo i don't know it just seemed like there was a lot more opportunities last year obviously than this year but right. <laughs> What what were some of the biggest changes you saw? I mean, obviously the opening of DCA and the Grand Californian, but what were some of the biggest changes you saw within Disneyland Park while you were there? Probably just, I was trying to think that's a good one. I noticed that when I was there, they started to allow cast members to have mustaches. Remember it? Oh. it always had to be clean cut. So that was one of the things that I, I saw change. Just seeing the crowds grow and grow. It seemed like we had 2000s, you know, we had California Venture Open and that was not really a flop, but it wasn't as successful as they had hoped. And then just what, 10, nine months later, no less than that, eight months later, we had 9-11 happen and, you know, that kind of put a stop on a lot of travel mm-hmm. so that kind of affected the park. So, but then, then to see it from that point, at its lowest to just grow over the years. And then now, you know, as I was saying, it just every day, it just seemed like it was, you know, 50,000, 40 to 50,000 people. It seemed like. What's something that Disneyland or that Disney did at Disneyland Park that you wish, looking back, you wish they had not done? <laughs> Some people would say California Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> and we love California Adventure, so that wouldn't be us. <laughs> no, I, I like I like that park. I, I think it's so much better now than it was yeah. before. Um, Cars Land and uh, Buena Vista Street, you know, and all that. Um, I don't know. Just, you know, we had a lot of time to just think and observe things. And and I I think seeing the Country Bear Jamboree go away Mm -hmm. was probably one of the harder things because I really enjoyed that as a kid and and enjoyed it as an adult too, but just thought that was a really good show. And I thought it was a bad move on their part to to get rid of it, especially there was like the Country Bear movie, which wasn't that great, but it came out just after they got rid of the riot, after the, Mm -hmm. the show. But I always thought they should have put Winnie. Now it wouldn't have worked, but I always thought they should have put Winnie the Pooh ride over where the Big Thunder Ranch was. 
because it's kind of close to Fantasyland. It would fit in the dark ride thing. But then that little area kind of had a little woodsy look to it. And yeah. But now, obviously, that would have worked. But I wish they had kept the people mover. I, I yeah, I miss that ride. What, what do you I think? Know. What do you think about Galaxy's Edge Land? Have you have you have you visited? And what what do you think about that? I think it's good. I really like it. I I think that when we first went last July in ju- and it just had Millennium Falcon, it just felt like it was good. They very very much detail and but you could tell this is not the main ride and the, and there's something missing here. Mm-hmm. And then have you been on Rise of Resistance? Yes, we yeah. have. Yeah. So I, and so when that opened, I was like, okay, now I, I see the full picture. I see it. It's complete now. And I mean, I, obviously they're probably going to add more stuff, but it just felt more complete and it felt like it just clicked easier because that whole area where Rise of Resistance was, remember before it opened, yeah, it, it was, was just, empty. That area, I mean, you, they still had the, what was that? X fighter still, um, X wing, X wing, whatever they had the X wing there, but it was otherwise like empty because we we went right. we went before they opened Rise of the Res- Rise of the Resistance, and we've been there since they've opened Rise of the Resistance, and so we did Smuggler's Run, the Millennium Falcon ride before, yeah, and I I think your point is exactly spot on. It was it was really cool. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge was very well done, but it seemed incomplete. And then when they opened Rise of the Resistance, and we finally got to ride, it took us a couple tries before we got to ride. It was like, oh, yeah, this is what this is about. And it, it, it made the yeah. whole land really just work at, at a different level. Say yeah. that both at Disney World and, and Disneyland. Now, Disney World, we didn't visit Galaxy's Edge before the opening of Rise of the Resistance, like in between, whereas Disney World we or Disneyland, we did get to go in sort of both stages. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just really exciting to to finally see just see it all together and see the full the full thing because I think before you know you'd walk from Critter Country and you're just like, all right what's you know what's going to happen here and now it's just you walk in it's still a slow transition but at the same time a lot more people sooner. <laughs> what what do you think is sort of the the worst attraction they put in during your time? Like what was the biggest flop or maybe it wasn't a flop, but you thought it was terrible. California Adventure. No, no. <laughs> I think that superstar limo ride they had there. Oh yeah. Did you ever get to go on that? No, I didn't get to go on it. I, I remember hearing about it, but no, I never. I don't yeah. even remember hearing about this ride. That's how bad it must have been. <laughs> well, do you want me to tell you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So you know where the Monsters in Ink ride is yes. over there? Yeah. That's where it used to be. And it was uh, like you were being, well, so the, the idea was when they were, when they were coming up with the idea and was it 97, 98? was you're supposed to be chased by the paparazzi, but then Princess Diana, um, you know, that whole <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So they changed it to where you're like a star and you're going to some movie premiere or something. And, 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 and along the way, you see all these celebrities along the way. And so like you'd see people that were popular, like in the 90s, it was like Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> and Drew Carey. And I don't know, I can't remember, but yeah. Regis or something, but mostly, you know, ABC stars. But right. People who are uh, on Hollywood squares, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cheesy. And you were in these, they're supposed to be limousines. That's why they look, the car vehicles look like they do now. But mm-hmm. uh, actually they used a lot of the animatronics are still there. They just redressed them oh. to those, uh, those yellow. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. The guys who clean up from the, the human. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The human patrol. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 
it, it, you know, that ride didn't even last a whole year. Wow. So, so as much as you love Disneyland, I'm, I've, I got one last question for you before we move into our rapid fire round here. You know, do you think if Walt walked into Disneyland today, he'd be happy with the, where the park is? Yes and no. Okay. I've thought of this before, but I think that he would be amazed at some of the technology, like a ride like Indiana Jones or just any of the, you know, a lot of the stuff that a lot of the animatronics mm-hmm. are a mm-hmm. little more fluid now, especially, uh, what's his name in Millennium Falcon? The, uh, oh, yeah. Hondo. Hondo? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's so smooth and amazing. I think he'd be amazed at some of that, the technology, obviously, um, from what the, you know, he'd last seen in the 60s. But I don't know. I just think that some of it's missing. Something's missing, though. Mm. And I don't, I think it's more internal than than visually to the guests, though, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Some, something sort of something broken in the process, but, you know, the guests are still enjoying the park kind of thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I think the prices maybe, I don't know. I know that a lot of people would say like, if Walt was here, he wouldn't have the prices be over a hundred dollars, but I have seen project, you know, comparisons and the cost of living and 55 to what the prices were and everything. And, and actually Disneyland was pretty expensive for that time. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's equal to what it is now, but I, I was pretty close. So it wasn't like it was cheap. Yeah. You know? Disneyland was always a luxury um, item. Mm-hmm. It's not, it was not the everyman's accessibility that maybe it sort of gets portrayed a little bit on TV that way. But I, I don't have never thought of Disney as being or Disneyland or Disney World as being as accessible as maybe it seems on TV mm-hmm. Yeah, from a yeah, cost, yeah. from a cost perspective. Yeah. Yeah, for I think sure. I think Walt would be just amazed that you could charge that much for a ticket more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's we're going to move over to the rapid fire segment of our show here, uh, Lynn. And so this is just a series of questions. Your favorites. Uh, no right answers. No wrong answers. Just your favorites. And so we'll start off with favorite Disney or Pixar character. Jack Skellington. Oh wow, that's a good one. Favorite Disney or Pixar movie. Monsters Inc. Nice. We love Monsters nice. Inc. Where does where Monsters University rank for you? I like it. I think it's fine. Yeah. 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 I don't know where where it would rank, but yeah, not my favorite, but it, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's good. I'm a big fan of art in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite Disney song? Ooh, Feed the Birds. Oh, that's a, that's a great oh, classic. one. Yeah. Do you have a favorite hotel at Disneyland, Lynn? I like the Disneyland hotel, just like walking around. I like Trader, I always say Trader Joe's, Trader Sam's. <laughs> I always say Trader Joe's too, because <laughs> the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah, one thing. I Walt like would have that. sued them for trademark infringement if you were still around. <laughs> okay, sorry. Like, I keep, know. Going, keep going. Keep going. I like walking around there, but it seemed like we've stayed at, you know, since we moved here and had to stay when we went down there. We stayed at Paradise Pier. That's kind of nice because it's quite, it seems like, like a little less action going on there. Mm-hmm. It's a little quieter but, for sure. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah. Favorite, favorite park at Disneyland. So you only have two choices. <laughs> or favorite park at the Disneyland Resort. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, <there you> <laughs> yeah. Favorite classic ride or attraction. It's always, I always go back and forth between Pirates and Haunted Mansion. They're both good. We'll let you have both. Yeah, yeah they're both good. Okay, good. I always go back and forth on it. I don't know. I, I was just in a Facebook group where they put up like four rides and they said one had to go at Disney World. And it was Pirates, Jungle Book, Haunted Mansion, and some other classic attraction like along those lines or Jungle Cruise. I, everyone's going after, I forget which one, Jungle Cruise or something else. And I was like, I was like, 
dump pirates at Disney World because you still got it at Disneyland and it's way yep. better. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Favorite Disneyland modern ride or attraction? Rise of the Resistance. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, favorite Disneyland snack? You know, I, you know what I really like is that Ronto wrap over there. Oh, oh so good. That's Brian so good. loves that too. I know. <laughs> Are you anti-popcorn, Lynn, because you had to sweep it up? Yeah, I'm not I'm just not a popcorn fan. No. <laughs> but the churros at Disneyland are way better than the churros at Disney World. So you are gotta yes, yeah, so you gotta at least be a churro fan, no? Yeah, I do like churros. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have different um so they different companies provide the churros to the different parks and so that's why oh. they're a little different. Favorite uh favorite Disneyland drink. Ooh, that's tough. You know, a lot of people give the blue milk a lot of slack. I actually like it, but that's not my favorite. I think the mint julep is my favorite. Nice. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I'm from Kentucky. I love a good mint julep. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> favorite Disneyland quick service restaurant. Rancho del Zoclo. That's considered mm. quick service, right? Yeah. 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 That's my favorite. That's a good one. Favorite Disneyland sit down restaurant. I like Nor uh, Orleans Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. Cafe Orleans. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had the Monte Cristo? Ooh, I haven't had that there. Uh, yeah, I've heard good things though. I've heard I've seen that pop up on people's <sighs> food lists now. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Like, I don't know if you'd like that kind of sandwich, but it, it's probably not very good for you at all. But <laughs> all right, I'm gonna add one more question for the show here, Lynn, which is just do you have a favorite memory from your time at working at Disneyland? Something that just really tugs back at you from time to time? I don't know if it's my like I, I hate to categorize this as a favorite, but it's I'd say it's something that sticks out to me the most is uh, a moment that happened. It was I returned to work. At, so Disneyland closed for 9-11 mm -hmm. and I was supposed to work that day. And they called me and asked me if I either wanted to come to work and do some extra cleaning or stay at home. But either way, I'd get paid for it. So I decided to stay home with my wife. But the next day when we returned at I think it was 12 noon or 11 a.m., they had a moment of silence at Town Square and they turned off all the music in Disneyland, shut all the rides down, everything. And they had a moment of silence and they played um, God Bless America, the flag and retreat. It was just very, um, I don't know, it's kind of sad. I mean, just because, you know, the events had just happened and mm -hmm. I was standing on the porch there in front of those restrooms by City Hall because I was cleaning those restrooms that day and just kind of watching it all take place. So I think that's a memory that, I'll never forget just because that was an event that hopefully we'll never have anything like that again. But I think all of us that were, you know, remember that event, remember where we were when we mm -hmm. found out. But then mm -hmm. I also remember that event returning back to Disneyland and the manager saying like, you know, let's put a smile on our faces because people want to get away from, you know, the real world and everything. But yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Well. On that note, Lynn, it's been really fun talking to you tonight. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for the the book. You've got a sequel out. Are there plans for a, maybe a third third edition of the book? Or? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I don't know. <laughs> we we we've we've sort of been talking about it, but nothing nothing planned at the moment. But well, where 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 can people find you? And Ken, won't you give them some places to find you so that if a third edition does come out, they can they yeah, can hear be about the it first. first. To know. Yeah. Well, just the sweepspot.com, sweep, like sweeping a broom, bot.com is where our, it's our website. We have everything there. We have uh, autographed copies of our books there that I, I mail out personally. And actually, I think right now they're cheaper than Amazon, but you can get the books on Amazon. They're not signed there and they're on Kindle. Both are on Kindle books. The first book is on audio. 
yeah. Auto Audible. Um, and both books have the same title, but there's two different subtitles. Like the first book is Queen the Kingdom, Insider Tales of Keeping Walt's Dream Spotless. And then the second book, so that came out in 2015. And then the second book is Queen the Kingdom, Night, Day, Past and Present. And that came out uh, just last year. So almost a year ago. Well, and happy book one, anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really talk too much about the second book, but it's that book is mainly about the beginnings of the custodial department. Mm-hmm. And goes all the way back to a, a cast member named Chuck, who was picked by Walt Disney to start the custodial department. And we were lucky enough to talk to his daughter and, you know, and people that had worked with him personally. And he, I mean, you could thank him for the way all the Disney parks around the world are, mm-hmm. the way they're kept clean, because he set the standards. Like there was no standards at that point. Walt just said, I want my park to be clean. And he had to come up with what does that how, mean? Yeah. How they, how they would do it. And so we write all about him and we also have a chapter on restrooms. We talk about the details and the theming of restrooms and, mm-hmm. and some other stories of some of the old timers that worked there when Walt was around. So that, that book is a little smaller. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Fas- we have that book also, Fascinating okay. Disney History. Yeah. So yeah, those, you know, you can find, like I'd mentioned those places, our podcast, you can find the sweet spot, you know, just wherever podcasts are found. You can go to our website. We have Twitter. I have a Facebook page and a group. Uh, we have a YouTube channel now. We started doing oh, cool. live streams during this COVID-19 stuff. So our podcast is comes out every other week. So on the weeks that we weren't doing the podcast, we were doing live streams and just taking questions. And you can see us um, as we're answering in live, live chat. So I think we're going to get away from doing that every other week and just do it once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a lot of work some, for those. It is. And we have some stuff we, we want to get audiobook for the second book recorded. And so mm. we're going to take time to do that. But we have a check out our YouTube channel because I have some ideas um, when I can finally get back in the park. I'm going to start uploading some videos on there um, talking about some of the stories in our books. But I'm going to take you to the locations of some of these stories and and tell the stories oh, there. Oh, cool. That sounds awesome. Well, we might have to procure a signed copy of your book from you, Lynn, and give it away to a listener. So um, they're such fun books to to read. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to look into doing that. But it's been great having you on the show this evening. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your stories and for writing the books too. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, it was great having Lynn on the show this evening. I think it's always kind of interesting to get a sort of peek behind the magic and to hear from people who work for Disney, uh, in this case at Disneyland, to understand, you know, just kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit and hear what the day-to-day is like for someone who works at the parks. If you haven't checked out his book, uh, his and Ken's book, Cleaning the Kingdom, uh, there's actually two volumes of the book out right now. They're both really interesting reads if you're interested in that sort of behind-the-scenes look at Disney. And so I'd highly encourage you to go check that out. You can buy them on Amazon, as Lynn hinted at, and also apparently can get signed copies from their website. So head over and check that out. I did want to be sure to read one of our five-star reviews on the air this week. And so this one comes from Kenzoko, who writes, fresh new perspective. Love their take and unique perspectives on Disney. Love the latest episode on Facebook groups. Already planning on implementing some of the ideas from them. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Kenzoko. It's really helpful, as always, to hear the positive feedback about the show. And we'll keep making them as long as folks keep, keep listening and keep finding 
value in enjoying them. With that, I did want to thank everyone for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. With that, I did want to say thanks again for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. Please also be sure to leave us a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are helpful in making the show more visible to people who might be looking for a podcast like ours. So those five-star written reviews are super important. And like I said, we'll read one on the air each week. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL Duo channel on YouTube for even more great content. And as I keep teasing, we've got some content on the way, so stay tuned there. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night. Good night.